I'm going to level with you. I had a plan this week to record a lecture, the one you listened to before this one. Did that. Things are going according to plan. Then I was going to let some time go by, and I was going to do a second lecture, which I thought was going to set up a whole bunch of the stuff that we were going to get into this week. And, uh, well, you know what I said about plans, right? Doesn't matter. There are only four rules you need to remember. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan. Right. There you have it. Four rules. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan. I am now at step number four where I'm going to throw away the plan. And uh, I'm going to say that there is a fifth step, which is when you throw away your plan, you got to make another one. You got to start doing stuff. You got to improvise. And that's what I'm going to be doing today. But before I get into my improvisations, let's listen to a little bit of introduction music that I think might set the tone and get us in the mood to talk about the things that I will be talking about. Here we go. Come gather around people wherever you roam. And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing Alright, so I picked that introduction music because... One of the things that I think stopped me from executing my plan was that I I did sit down to record the second lecture, like I think two times before. And, uh, you know, I I turned on my recorder, I I talked into my microphone, and it didn't feel right. There was something about it that felt weird, that felt off, that felt wrong. And uh, yesterday, I went for a run after attempting to record this and not feeling like it was very good. I was like, what's going on here? Like, why, why do I have this feeling this affect that that this lecture is not quite right that i'm not i'm not doing it the way that i want to what's going on here and you know uh i'm running and my thoughts drift and as they do when when people run i don't know if you run or, or not if you do you might be familiar with this if you don't i'll try to describe it uh when you run when i run uh, my thoughts kind of like wander in a, in a way, right? I'm thinking about one thing, but like uh, I have to kind of focus on, on keeping my body doing this thing, which is kind of hard. And so it's it's not like I can, I can't stay super focused on any one particular kind of like cognitive uh, set of, I guess, actions or processes. And so, you know, I'm in one for a little bit and then I kind of like float out of it and I, I find myself in a different one. So I was going through that process and... I found myself thinking a ton kind of just about the state of everything. I'm, I'm, you can't see me doing this, but I'm like, I'm like gesturing at the world as I say the state of everything right now, right? Because the state of everything is in a state that I can't remember it being in, you know, previously. There's so much stuff going on right now. And I, you know, it's sometimes I, I think, you know, going on the internet is, it's just kind of like you, there was this time I can remember this, right? I, I'm you're all old enough that I'm sure you can remember this too, right? You'd start your day, you'd like go on the internet, you'd read your email, maybe check some stuff, and and you'd you'd see what you missed, right? And like there'd be stuff that happened, of course, while the day star was off, but you know then the day star was turned back on, and you woke up and you you checked the world and you kind of caught up on what you missed, and you 
he didn't feel particularly like um uh, affected by that, right? You're like, okay, cool, I'm caught up now. And you got on with your stuff. Well, now, now it's not the way that it's working for me. And I'm I'm assuming for probably you and lots of other people as well, uh, you you go through this and it's just like, what is going on? I can't, You, it's it's unbelievable at times. It's like, uh, it, what, that that happened? Uh, that's how kind of how I'm thinking about it anyways. And uh, I don't know, it's weird. Like as I say that, I mean, uh, a lot of times my reaction isn't just like that happened. It, it, it's, it, it's like that, that happened. You know, it's like, <laughs> sometimes it's, I'm, I'm just like shocked. And other times I'm just like deeply saddened, I suppose, by, by things. And sometimes it's both. Sometimes I'm shocked and deeply saddened or that it's like a teeter totter kind of going back and forth between those two affects. So that's, that's sort of what's going on in the world here. And it felt wrong, I suppose for me, uh, I realized this when I was running to sit down in front of this microphone and record these lectures and to not in some way acknowledge that stuff. Right. Um, uh, I, I think previously what I was probably trying to do was sort of like, like stay on topic and not, uh, move off topic and acknowledge many of the things are going And, and that was a, a, not a good idea. Right. I, I think it's more important to acknowledge the things that are going on. Now, as I acknowledge them, I'm not going to make any claim that I have any like wonderful solutions to the the various uh, extremely uh, traumatic and problematic instances that are happening in the world. I don't, but I do want to acknowledge that they are happening, right? So that's that's something. So I had that realization. I'm running, and incidentally, another thing that that kind of my mind wandered to after I thought about that, like maybe that's what's wrong is a session, a very, very, very recent session that I had, like this week recent, uh, with somebody who I have been working with. And what I want to do is tell you a little bit about that session. I want to talk about, and in, in telling you about that session, also simultaneously attempt to address and acknowledge many of the things that are happening in the world that we live in right now. And at the same time, talk a little bit about um, some principles and techniques that I think might might be useful. Now, uh, that's my hope, right? We'll see how it goes. I have some notes in front of me. I actually have a plan. Um, we'll see if this one goes off the rails or if it doesn't. But right now, I'm going to play a little bit more transition music, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to tell you about this case that I'm working on. So this case that I'm working on uh, is interesting for me because it illustrates something that I think might be important for for us to talk about when we meet again. And that is the, the fact that the boundary between doing work with a couple and doing work with an individual is not some really clear line. It, it's a it's a it's a blurry and in my my thoughts kind of shifting line. It, it doesn't stay in the same spot. It moves around. And what I'm going to be talking to you about today is actually a case that I'm, I'm currently working on. It's somebody who I have worked with for a very long, long, long time. And I've, I've changed the details of this case in certain ways to try to, to protect the guilty and the innocent uh, and render people unrecognizable. But because it's a current case that I'm working on. 
But anyways, um, I have been working with this case for a long time. I have a good handle on this one. I, I know this one really well. This isn't like somebody who I met, you know, last month or something like that. This is, this is a long term kind of piece of work that I'm talking on here. And this is somebody who I work with as an individual. This person comes in for individual therapy. However, even though she comes in for individual therapy, the vast amount of what we end up talking about or what she ends up talking about and I end up listening to in her sessions is about her relationships, her, her um, relationships with her family somewhat, but, but largely her uh, attempts to establish a romantic partnership with somebody else. That's, that's a huge mat, like uh, upwards of 90%, I'd say of our conversations uh, have been focusing on that. And then there's 10%, maybe 15% that focuses on some other stuff. All right. So this is somebody who, again, work with them as an individual, but since we're talking about romantic relationships so frequently, a lot of the uh, thoughts and ideas and concepts and uh, principles and techniques that animate my, my work with couples end up getting kind of like repurposed and applied to my work with this individual person. I hope that makes sense. Having said all of that, let me let me set this up a bit here. So, like I said, I've worked with this person for a long time, and I've seen this person be in uh, multiple relationships, and and it would seem to me that there's a pattern. Uh, this person who I, I work with, she meets somebody, develops an interest in them, that interest is reciprocated, um, and then she has a tendency, I would say, to idealize her partner, to to look at her partner and see their qualities that are good, and to to um, maybe see some of their, their more problematic qualities, but she disavows those, right? Like the, 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 they get totally eclipsed by the good in, in her mind, right? And she, she kind of um, splits the person and sees their good and doesn't see their bad for a while. And of course, seeing somebody in, in that kind of a way, you know, what Melanie Klein would call a split way, uh, is somewhat unsustainable. It's very difficult to sustain a relationship with somebody for a long time if that's how you're going to see them because inevitably... You know, people are complicated and they have elements of themselves that are, are good and that you enjoy and that you think are, are great. And they also have elements of themselves that are, you know, problematic or uh, not good uh, that you think are kind of bad. And they have a negative effect on, on you and the relationship that you have with them. And, and pretty much any significant relationship is going to be a combination of those two things. So to see a relationship and only focus on the good and not focus on the bad generally, you know, leads to a feeling of infatuation and a lot of happiness in the beginning, but then inevitably the person who you're idealizing and only seeing the good qualities of, uh, their, one of their bad qualities becomes unignorable. At that point, the ideal is shattered. And a lot of times the relationship just ends up like kind of falling apart as a result. And that's something that I would see happen in this particular person's life. It happens, it's happened multiple times actually. So now let me let me fast forward a little bit here, because um, I, I, I've worked with this person, I guess, for a long time, more than more than a year at, at this point, uh, probably like coming up on two when I think about it. Anyways, so yeah, I, I've seen this happen over that time, and she recently-ish got into a relationship, and you know, it, when she got into the relationship, one of the things that we'd explored is her propensity to idealize, and she wanted to kind of avoid herself from doing that. And uh, uh, she, this, she's dating somebody now 
who is she she thinks is really great and uh she she likes this person let me describe a little bit about the two halves of the couple here so there's my patient my patient is somebody who i think you could describe as a middle-class woman who is in her late 20s uh she uh, comes from some degree of adversity her you know her her parents were divorced it was a really contentious divorce had a really negative effect on on her um as as a kid so she kind of like lived through that she's the youngest of uh i think like four kids ultimately and stuff like that so you know big family lots of uh lots of things and, and she ended up like her family lives far far away from here she they live in a totally different state and she like relocated to get away from them. There's a little bit about her. So she's here and uh, she meets this dude. And the dude who she meets is somebody who is um, his parents. His father, I believe, is Mexican. And uh, uh, I believe he's in jail and has been for a very long time. And his mother is white. Uh, he is he's a he's uh, in a family. I think he, he really his mother had like eight kids. He's one of eight kids. And uh, she raised these eight kids on, on her own. Um, dad totally uninvolved. And whenever dad was involved, it, it wasn't good, um, uh, ultimately, right? And so this, this guy, he grows up, you know, he's, he's half Mexican, half white, uh, grows up uh, in a way that I think we could classify as uh, not middle class, right? Uh, and so on and so forth. So that's sort of, sort of his background. And he, he, what he has done too, similar to my patient, is he has kind of like moved away from his family of origin and kind of like separated from them in a, in a degree, not to the same degree she has, like her family's in a way far away and his family actually does uh, reside uh, here in, in the same state as they're, they're living in and all that. But anyways, um, he, he has some boundaries, I would say, around how he interacts with his family, I put it that way. Um, but they, they, they're talking lately and... They started to have the, the patient saw me this week and she, she was uh, very upset. I could tell like this, you know, when you go to a waiting room and you, you see your patients and you, in this case, I wasn't going to room. this. I opened up zoom and like, you know, I see the person on my computer screen, but you can tell when your patient has been crying. It was one of those instances. You can see that they'd been crying and, and, uh, you know, the session starts and what would you like to talk about? And she says, she'd like to talk about an argument that she had with her, her boyfriend. And I go, okay. And she, she tells me too, that she thinks that this argument means that they need to break up. That's how she opens up. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So what she does is she, she tells me that recently they got together and she had done the thing that I described earlier. She had like, you know, the day had started, she'd opened her computer to see kind of like what had happened. Well, while she wasn't paying attention while she slept and it, she was hit by all the things are going on. And she was just like, I, I can't believe this. I can't believe that this is happening. Right. This is so bad. And she, she was in particular talking about some of the, the like uh, looting and, and destruction, which is going on. And, um, she was, she was looking at that. Then later that day, like she, she goes to work, work day comes to an end. She sees her boyfriend and she's talking with her boyfriend about these things that are going on in the world. And at one point, um, she's, she can see that she's more worked up about this than he is, which isn't to say that he's not worked up. It's just that she's more worked up. And she says, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe when I see all these things that are going on and I, 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 I'm like talking to people and where she works during the day 
and they're they're trying to say that they're all for peaceful protest, but these violent things and looting, this isn't okay. And she's like, but maybe maybe peaceful protest doesn't work. And I'm thinking about that. And when I say that, then people are getting mad at me. And she's, she's just recounting all these things. And at one point she says, you know, I see what's going on. And she says, and I'm starting to think that maybe we, and by we, she, she tells me she means, um, generally speaking, white people who are middle class or, or higher on the socioeconomic scale are just getting what we deserve. And she says this to her boyfriend. And her boyfriend says, I don't agree. And she's like, wait, what? What do you mean you don't agree? And he's like, I, I don't agree. And, and he does this thing. She describes it to me. Of course, I wasn't there for this. Where he says, hey, listen, like I grew up in my background. It's tough. You know, he's like, I'm not white. Um, he's like, I'm part white, but I'm not like white, white. And I grew up in really tough socioeconomic conditions. And, you know, my, my, I have family members who are in jail, who made certain decisions. I made different decisions. And because I made different decisions, I'm living a different life. And, you know, he's like, I, I don't think that people deserve these sorts of things. And this kicks off um, a discussion between these two people where my patient kind of like say is saying like, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And, and her, her boyfriend is, is saying like, Oh, well maybe this, but, but not that. And, and they're talking about these things. And what's emerging basically is that he doesn't think that, that people should feel guilty for being uh, successful, right? That, that, that if you're successful, you then, then don't feel guilty about that. And don't think that your successfulness kind of contributes to in any way to racial injustice or economic injustice. That's kind of what he's saying. And she's getting really angry and she's saying like that, that is stupid. That's wrong. Um, and it, it's like sort of, uh, not taking responsibility for centuries of racial injustice and economic injustice and brutality. Right. And they're, they're going on in this direction like this for a while. And, and I mean, she's telling me about this and she's, she's upset and she's like, and now I just think that, this is just one of those things that we don't see eye to eye on and therefore we need to break up. That's, that's the thing that happened. And again, I, I, I thought about this on my run. I had this session, I'm running, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, I don't want to just not acknowledge what's going on in the world. And I, I have this example that I just told you about. Now, I'd, I'd love to tell you about how this turns out, but at this point I don't know actually, because, uh, you know, this is happening. This isn't, this is not done happening. Uh, so I, I don't know how the story is going to end at this point. I know our session ended. Uh, and what I want to do next is I want to tell you a little bit about that session. Okay, now we're back from our transition music. Um, before I tell you about the session, I'm going to actually tell you about some other stuff. <laughs> I'm going to talk about some principles, I'm going to talk about some techniques, and then I'm going to talk about the session. So let's start talking about principles. One of the things that I asked you to listen to this week was a radio show called On Being, and the guest on the show was this guy named Alan de Beton. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. I'm trying. 
Uh, and if you haven't listened to that, listen to it. If you um, have, you'll know what I'm talking about. So one of the things that he brings up in his talk is this idea of something that he calls a benevolent explanation. And I think that this is an actually re- a really interesting principle that can help kind of animate the work that you do when you work with couples. What is the benevolent explanation? So it, it kind of goes like this. I'm going to be uh, paraphrasing what uh, Alan de Baton said in the other show here. So if this is oldnews.com for you, I'm sorry, I'll go real quick. Um, he said, you know, there are, when we have children, small children, a lot of times small children act in ways that are really not easy to deal with, right? They're nasty. They, they have temper tantrums. They say things when they get really emotional that are like disproportionate. Uh, Kids can be tough to deal with, right? However, he points out that when we're dealing with children, we tend to not go, this this child is having a temper tantrum because they are an evil child. (laughs) Yeah, when when a child says something that is wrong, but then like won't give that up when even though you've you've told them, like you've caught them lying and and you've, you've proven that you've caught them lying, and they're continuing to lie. Like when a child is doing that, they're not doing that because they're evil either, right? We, we basically assume that when a child is doing something kind of uh, problematic, we, we tend to go, okay, maybe they're hungry. They're teething. They didn't have a nap today. They're sick. Um, uh, we, we come up with these other explanations other than they just suck is what it kind of comes down to. And those are benevolent explanations. What he points out is that when we cross over from childhood and adolescence into adulthood, we stop doing this a lot, right? It's not that we maybe give it up completely, but we're certainly far less likely to assume that there's a benevolent explanation for people, for adults, doing crazy or stupid problematic things. We, we go, uh, we, we, we tend to, a lot of times, I guess, jump to the conclusion that they're doing that bad thing because they are a bad person ultimately. Uh, and this happens a ton in romantic relationships, I find, right? So in romantic relationships, when one person does something, says something, behaves in a way which is um, not great, their partner might go, you should know better. And I'm going to hold you accountable by being just furious at you. And and uh, I'm going to say that you're a bad person because you did that, right? Only a bad person would think or say or do whatever. That's something that, that I see happen a lot. And uh, the idea of creating a benevolent explanation, I think, is a really important thing. This is something that happens a lot in my couple's work, right? Is Is it possible that this person thinks something, said something, did something, not because they're awful, not because they suck, not because they're evil, but for another reason. Now, that when I say that, I don't want to make it sound like benevolent explanations just like excuse or cover over or get rid of bad behavior. I think that's wrong. Um, but I do think that thinking that the reason that people do some of the things they do is because they suck, because they're bad, because they're evil, that that's just not right. All right. That I, I find it difficult to believe that that's the case. I think that looking at myself, I know that there have been times where like, um, I've been hungry and because I'm hungry, I start to get a headache. And, uh, like this happened once I can remember this really clearly. I won't get deep into the specifics here. I was doing some yard work with my family. Um, and 
uh, like my wife and I had invited family over to do yard work because we didn't invite, we asked them to help us do yard work because it was kind of a big project. And so they came over out of the goodness of their hearts to, to help us do this thing. They're helping. Um, it's really hot. It's humid. I haven't eaten. I have a headache. And, you know, somebody asked me something and I remember just kind of like snapping on them and, and being really short tempered. Now in that moment, that person could have said like, you know, I am, uh, acting that way because I suck because I'm bad and because I'm a short tempered person or something like that. Um, luckily that that's not how it goes. They were like, dude, like, wow, are you all right? And I was like, I'm sorry. I just totally snapped at you. I'm really hot and I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I just want this to be over. They said, why don't you take a break? And I was like, I probably should take a break. Like, why don't you have a snack? It's like, I should have a snack. I should drink some water. So I, I did that and then I felt better. Right. But, um, that, that's it going well because the person, you know, assumed a benevolent explanation as opposed to just going like, how dare you speak to me this way? I'm helping you. You know, I, I, I didn't sign up for you to be a jerk to me. I'm, you know what? I'm leaving, right? They didn't, they didn't handle it that way. They went like, okay, there's, there's something else going on here. Let's talk about that. Now in relationships, and this is part of uh, the, the point, we, we don't do that very often. And part of the reason that we don't do it is that we kind of assume that our romantic partner, like just kind of, we don't want to have to explain ourselves to them. We don't want to have to um, explain why we think the things we think in the moment that we think them. We just want somebody who's like our romantic partner to just like get it, magically get it, and just like understand us, right? And when they don't, we get really mad. Another really interesting point of that podcast that I, I had you listen to is uh, how, how Alan Debaton points out that we don't sulk at people that we – if we don't think that somebody should get us, then we don't sulk at them – when they don't get us, right? So like if you have a coworker who you don't think should get you, if they don't get you, you don't sulk at them. Your romantic partner who you think should get you, when they don't get you, you sulk at them or you snap at them or you do something else like that. And why do you sulk or snap? It's because you think that they should get it without it, you needing to explain it to them. Um, and that's the silly. We do actually need to explain ourselves to one another. And when somebody else is explaining themselves to us, I think we need to be able to be able to listen to them explain themselves to us. So uh, inevitably in a romantic relationship, a difference of opinion will assert itself. It might be about something small. It might be about something big. Like in the story I told you about, I think it's something big. Um, it could be something small, like a paint color in a room, but a, a difference of opinion will come into it. And when that does happen, rather than just kind of expecting that the other half of the couple, like just magically understands what's going on and why you think what you think, whatever that is, you got to explain it. You know, and, and it's, it's weird that we don't do this as much, uh, that we're, we're so generous with children and sometimes generous with other people, but so not generous with our romantic partners. So anyways, that's, that's the first principle that I want to get into the principle of the benevolent explanation. So let's move on to another principle here. Right. Um, and this is weird. I don't know if I should call this a principle or if I should call this a technique. It seems like maybe it's sort of like in between the two. You tell me what you think maybe when we meet as a class, uh, when you're doing clinical work with a couple or an individual, one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to deploy interventions. Now, the vast majority of our interventions, I, I think definitely the vast majority of my interventions are verbal interventions. They're me saying a thing to somebody. Uh, now, sometimes interventions take other forms. You could like, uh, I don't do this, but I know other people who do. You could give people homework. That's an intervention. You could have people engage in like, I don't know, meditation or deep breathing exercise. Sure, sure, sure. Um, a lot of even those other interventions they are contingent upon a verbal intervention. A verbal intervention is like, I think the foundation upon which all other interventions are built. 
we, we, when we do therapeutic work, it is a verbal thing. We're talking. Somebody comes in, they talk, you listen. Sometimes you say things back, you're talking, it's, it's verbal, right? So when, when we use a, a verbal intervention, the words that we use should have an effect. I'll say that again, because I think it's important. When we use a verbal intervention, the words that we use should have an effect. Uh, effect. E-F-F-E-C-T. And hopefully a good effect, right? Now here's where, where things get a little bit wonky, I think. A lot of time in work with couples and work with individuals, one of the, the only effect that I think people, a lot of therapists try to get their words to have is a supportive effect. They want the person to feel supported. They want the person to feel understood. They want the person to feel like you're, you get them and you're on their side. Uh, I see a lot of therapists doing that. That's the effect that they want to have. Now I'm going to move from, from that, that. So we talked about principle one using benevolent, benevolent explanations. They exist. Okay. Principle number two, verbal intervention should have an effect. Side note, a lot of times contemporary therapists, the only effect that they want to have is to make the patient client person feel supported. All right. And side note, now we're moving on to the next thing here. Uh, um, and I'm, again, I'm not sure if this is a principle or a technique. You tell me what you think. I would argue that making a person feel supported, uh, making a person feel safe, like that, there is a time and place for that. I don't want to say that that's, that's never good because that would be stupid. Um, I think it's overused. And I think sometimes our verbal interventions might be better if they did something that kind of like made a cut as opposed to tied things together. Sometimes you want your verbal intervention to not make the person feel good and, and safe and supported and justified in all of their actions. Sometimes you want the person to, to take pause and actually go like, wait a minute, am I right? Wait a minute, have I missed something? Hold on a second. Why did I do that? Right. Sometimes that's the effect that you want to have. But to have that effect which is something that I think a lot of people are very reluctant to, to produce now, you have to kind of cut into something. You have, to, you have to make a cut with your verbal intervention. So what are you cutting into? Um, so the, the example that I gave to you earlier was of this person who has a, a pattern. Her pattern is meet somebody, idealize the person, be very infatuated with them when the person fails to live up to the ideal to assume that she's made some terrible mistake and she needs to totally just like end the relationship completely. That is a pattern. Uh, there, that is a symptomatic behavior. She has done this multiple times. This is not like a one-off. This is something that happens again and again and again. And I can point to it 
um, at, at many different instances in the time that her and I have been working together, right? I can say like, look, you did it here, you did it here, you did it here. And each time it's slightly different. It's not exactly the same thing every time, but generally speaking, the pattern is pretty consistent. Okay. I want to cut into that. I want to cut into that pattern. I want to cut into that symptom that she has, uh, of doing these sorts of things. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, another thing that she has is she has a way of viewing the world, right? And it's, it's a way of viewing the world that she doesn't question. I want to cut into that and create perhaps an ability that she, she would question the way that she views the world. And, and I don't, when I say question, I mean question. I don't mean necessarily arrive at any particular conclusion. I mean question. If somebody has a particular worldview and they never question it, they're never going, is my worldview flawed? Uh, is there something my worldview doesn't take into account? Is there something about my worldview that makes sense to me that wouldn't make sense to somebody else? These are all questions that you, ha- you, you would ask if you stop to consider your worldview as something other than like the absolute truth, right? So if or somebody considers their worldview the absolute truth or pretty close to it, I think it's a pretty good idea to cut into that. Another way that I could describe what we cut into would be to say that we cut into demands. I think a lot of times people are living their lives uh, because they, there are demands on them. There's things that they feel like they have to do, and they're not they're not stopping to consider those demands as something that they might be able to not meet. Right. So, if somebody, for example, thinks that their romantic partner needs them to be uh, stable, we'll say, uh, making this up as I go. Uh, my romantic partner needs me to be stable. They never question that, right? They don't. They they never ask their partner if they need that. They just assume that. So then they always try to be stable, try to be stable, try to be stable. And then one day, they can't be stable, and they have a meltdown. And their partner's like, "What is happening?" And they're like, "You always need me to be stable. I can't always be the stable one." And the partner's like, "Whoa, did I ever say that I need you to be stable?" And maybe they did, or maybe they implied that. But it's like. It, Maybe maybe the message you received isn't the message that I sent kind of thing. There was there was something that got lost there in translation. Um, and, and so, again, you want to kind of cut into that demand, that, that assumption that, that I have to be whatever way. Uh, those assumptions, I think, kind of come a lot of times from when we were children. Our, our parents had certain expectations of us that, that, I mean, here I'll try to illustrate this by telling a bit of a personal story here. Um, one of the things that I sometimes, I, whenever I'm sick, and I decide not to go to work, I have a problem. I feel guilty. I feel like I should be going to work. I should be suffering through being sick, right? Um, and part of this was that I, I think when I was a kid, my uh, I, there was this message that if you're too sick to go to school, then you shouldn't. You should be so sick that you have to like be in bed and, and resting. You can't do anything else, right? If you're sick, that means you're sick, and the only thing you do is like recover from your sickness. So if your sickness is like the kind of sickness where like it would be hard for you to do your job, but you could, you know, watch TV on Netflix or something like that, then you should feel like I feel that way a lot. Right. Um, but the reality is that that's just not necessarily true. There's sometimes like if I'm sick, I shouldn't go to work and I can actually stay home and watch Netflix and be sick and watching Netflix can be part of my resting up and recovering from being sick and it's okay. Right. But I, I still have this like almost like childlike reaction to being sick, even though I'm an adult with adult powers. Um, one of the things that can happen in a good therapy, like if I went to therapy, a therapist might point that out and kind of like cut into that and be like, yo, dude, you're doing this thing. You're acting like a child, even though you're 42, you have your 42 year old adult guy powers. Why are you acting like you're six? And uh, that, that would be like a cut into those sorts of things. And I hope that makes sense. So I, last bit about this then, um, 
cutting, the, the verbal intervention of cutting. One of the other things that, that I think happens a lot, and this kind of goes back to an earlier point I was making, that contemporary therapists, I think, are more interested in kind of uh, offering support. They're also, offer, I think, really interested in offering explanations and making sense of things. And again, that's not evil. There, there's times where that's like not a bad idea. But if that's like the only thing you do, that then eh, it might be a bad idea, right? Sometimes you, I'm going to argue, you can disagree if you want, but I'm going to argue that uh, it does make sense to provide somebody with a interpretation with a verbal intervention that gives them some kind of meaning. But other times I think it makes more sense to use a verbal intervention to cut into and break up a meaning that they have. The thing here is that the first kind of intervention being supportive and offering um, something that, that the person goes, Oh, okay. I agree with that. It makes sense. That's, that's, that feels nice when you do that. Doing the second kind of intervention where you kind of like cut into somebody and you go like that thing that you think makes sense, doesn't make sense. Um, you're, you'll feel your anxiety and they'll probably feel their anxiety like go up. It doesn't feel as nice, right? But it's still really important to do those sorts of things. So what I want to do now is is explain kind of like what those those cuts look like by talking about the way that I did that in the example that I shared with you earlier in this lecture uh, of the patient that I have now who's coming in and saying that she thinks she needs to break up with her boyfriend because he's saying things that she finds um, uh, objectionable uh, in a number of different ways, politically, morally, etc. So she's telling me this and... Um, I remember listening, listening, listening. And the thing about interventions that cut, they tend to be more um, succinct, more spartan. They tend to be kind of quick. Uh, they're not elaborate, long, unfurling sorts of explanations. They're fast things, right? Um, so at a certain point, she was telling me this, and, and she's like, she says, uh, you know, I, I just I can't believe that I found myself dating somebody who believes these things. I, I, I think that this is an irrevocable difference between us. I think that we need to break up. And um, uh, I said, right, because doing that is, is going to have a positive effect on all of the things that are going on in the world. And she was surprised by my verbal intervention. She was like, it gave me the look, you know, raised eyebrows. What? And I, and, and I was quiet after that. I didn't, I didn't explain what I just said. I just, I put it that way. And then she invited me to explain. Could you, could you say more about that? Yeah, I, sure. And I said, you know, one of the things that I believe is that people uh, have things that they consciously enjoy. They know they enjoy them. And they have things that they unconsciously enjoy. And they don't know what they enjoy them, but they keep on doing them. And she said, sure, fine, yeah, whatever. I don't get what this has to do with what I'm telling you. And I said, I think that maybe you unconsciously enjoy feeling very guilty. And she's like, I don't enjoy feeling guilty. And I said, you don't consciously enjoy feeling guilty. Unconsciously, I shrugged. And she got frustrated with me, actually. She was like, I... I don't know how to take this. I think you're wrong. Um, da, 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 da. And I said, mm, it's interesting that you think I'm wrong. And it's interesting that uh, 
you agreed with the idea that people have unconscious desires and motivations, uh, things that they don't know. But when I described one that might apply to you, eh, you're different. She, she, she was like, she's getting frustrated with me. And again, I'm not saying more, right? I'm, I'm being provocative in this. And she's like, she says to me like, well, what, what, what do you think? What are your beliefs uh, about this? And again, I made a, 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 a decision in that moment. And I said, um, I said nothing. I was quiet. I, I just, I just didn't respond to her. I didn't answer her demand. And, uh, you know, she was like, are you not going to answer me? And I said something along the lines of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer that, that question. And, you know, she's getting, it's, it's getting, the anxiety is wrenching it up. It's getting hotter in here. And, uh, she was like, okay, let's, explain this unconscious thing to me one more time. Right. And I said, sure. I'm like, you know, the unconscious is the place where all of the things that we desire, that we wish for, that we want, but we can't consciously acknowledge that we want them because were we to consciously acknowledge that we want them, we'd have to revise our opinion of ourselves. We'd have to change the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. We'd have to uh, redo our identity. You know, I'm like, I, your identity, I think is that you really enjoy feeling downtrodden, you really enjoy feeling as if you were a victim and you found a way to take the victimization of other people in this instance and make it about you. She was just like, oh, she was getting mad, you know? Um, and she's like, I, I just don't agree. And I was like, I, again, I shrugged. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm going to kind of spare you this because this, this keeps on going. She doesn't storm out of the room. She doesn't, she doesn't leave. Um, uh, or, or anything like that. And, and at a certain point, like she, she said something along the lines of, uh, maybe this was luck on my part, but we were getting kind of closer to the end of our time. And she said something like, um, I just don't understand how somebody could think this. And I, I said, really? And she went, what do you, what do you mean? Really? I'm like, you told me about your boyfriend and you've described a guy who's lived a hard life. I'm wondering if maybe what happened is you found yourself getting into an argument with him and he got into an argument with you and the argument became less about who was right and who was wrong. And it became more about not backing down. And she, she was like, Oh, wait, wait, what a minute. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, it sounds like you're really proud in some ways. He's really proud in some ways. And you're challenging him and he's challenging you. And neither one of you particularly seems to be that interested in backing down. You know, do you, do you think that, that your boyfriend um, is somebody who is a racist vehemently? Do you think he acts in racist ways? Do you think he, he, he does things that, that takes actions that you would find abhorrent? And she said, no. And I was like, mm, okay. I'm like, does he, does he engage in things that we would classify as like hate speech on, I don't know, your conversations on social media? She said, no. I'm like, oh, Okay. Like, I think maybe you're having a difference of opinion and maybe that difference of opinion is getting blown out of proportion because you both have pasts and those pasts are intruding now on the relationship that you have here in the present. I don't know all the details. I don't know how all the hows and whys, but I think that might be what's happening here. In effect, I'm trying to offer a benevolent explanation. I'm trying to say like, hey, look, maybe 
there's more to it than that than than what you think of than than this relationship needs to end because this guy disagrees with me (laughs) and that makes him bad ultimately right Uh, and that wasn't a cutting intervention by the way that second one that's much more of like a tying intervention it's offering something up you know because again it it is good to do both uh anyway so i I figured i i would would tell you that story uh again don't know how it's gonna turn out we'll see how things go down as time goes on here um but that's my story that is my attempt to share some principles with you to try to set up some of the things we'll be talking about this week and to acknowledge some of the um i i don't have the words to describe what they are the the but i'll try some of the uh horrible shocking unbelievable what is in the world is happening things that are going on so frequently nowadays i hope that i have succeeded in those things and i really look forward to talking to you all this coming saturday till then you know take care of yourselves make some glorious mistakes and uh every now and then maybe try to cut into some of your assumptions your worldviews, your identities, those sorts of things, if you want to. If you don't, don't worry about it. But if you want to, give it a shot. I'll stop talking now. <laughs>